Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. We are coming to the finish line here. Um, our, if you've been listening for the last couple of months, you've heard me open every show telling you about the Orthodox Jewish All-Star Awards. And we are now just a few days away in Midtown Manhattan this Sunday, November 5th. We still have a few tickets left. You can join us for the greatest night in Orthodox Jewish professional success. And usually you're far away. Usually you only interact with our work from a distance. This is really your chance to come out. And for people listening right now and saying, is she talking to me? Yes, I'm talking to you because we only can do this if you're a part of our work. If you come out and be counted and give your contribution and fill up one of those seats um, this is your chance to say that I don't want to be, you know, judged or um, depicted in the way that the media normally does. That it should be our turn to um, explain what the community looks like for us. And as you've heard before, Project Makom, one of our initiatives, gives alternatives, gives options to people from the ultra Haredi world who life has not worked out for them there, and they're looking for ways to stay religious. Our work at Project Makom offers those pathways, and the the event that night on Sunday. November 5th will benefit um, this this part of our program and, and be able enable us to be able to help more people in this position. You can sign up for tickets at jewinthecity.com slash events. Um, as you know, our mission at Jew in the City is to show you stories in the Orthodox world that you don't hear anywhere else, is to show you perspectives um, that are often not reported on. Um, unfortunately, we often hear the worst from the Orthodox community. Um, that's what traditional media loves to focus on. And we use social media um, and radio media um, to tell the other side of the story. Um, and an interesting topic came up. I was just trying to remember with our guest how we got connected originally. Someone reached out to us um, to find out if she could be religious in the IDF. Um, I think this is someone that was trying to grow in their observance and figure out how to do it. And I put out a posting on Facebook. And thank God we have 70,000 followers across social media. Um, and we heard from a woman named Zisal Miriam Rahimi, um, who told us that she was observant in the IDF and um, she would be happy to talk about her experience and we're so excited to share uh, Zisla's story so thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. So if you could give us a little background um, you grew up in Israel but you did not grow up observant correct? I grew up in America actually. Got it. Uh, I, grew I was up like your uh, English is so good. Very very okay, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. I made Aliyah when I was 21, but I, I grew up heavily influenced by my participation in Young Judea, uh, the pluralist uh, Zionist youth movement, going to their summer camps, and I always knew I would do uh, their post-high school volunteer program, and that's kind of what set me on the trajectory to want to uh, both make Aliyah and become religious. Hmm. Very cool. And so what age um, did you start becoming observant? Uh, it was, I think, around when I turned 19 that I started keeping Shabbat, and that was like my only mitzvah for about a year. Like mm -hmm. Some people would kind of be like, well, why are you Orthodox? And I was like, I'm not Orthodox. I only keep Shabbat. And then uh, through uh, a year of uh, keeping Shabbat and trying to spend more time with people, who also kept Shabbat, which in my case, I went to college in Iowa, where the only observant people in, like, probably in a 70-mile radius were the uh, Chabad Shlichim. 
So I got connected with them and started absorbing more of the um, all-encompassing lifestyle. And so uh, the next, like a year after I started keeping Shabbat, I also started uh, dressing modestly full-time and I stopped touching men. And uh, a year after that, I started keeping kosher. It's kind of a funny order to do things in. But, you know, I find, um, Cecil, that people, um, we have sort of the things that are the hardest for us. And I think often people start with the things that are less challenging. And we kind of, would you find that's the same thing, that you kind of start with the things that are more doable and then you leave the harder ones for later? Well, Shabbat was definitely the most intuitive thing. Like, I always loved Shabbat. It, um, Young Judea being pluralist uh, did have a, Shomer Shabbat atmosphere, and I always loved it. It just never occurred to me that it was something I could do outside of that uh, Young Judea summer camp framework. Hmm. Uh, so I w- was very um, happily and with very little friction that I started keeping Shabbat. Ironically, the, the modesty side and the not-touching-men side was a, a lot more difficult. I always like loved giving everyone hugs, and I'm very uninhibited and have been performing since uh, I was quite young. And so I thought that uh, second step of uh, modesty and not touching men, I kind of went for because I felt like that's where I would get the most uh, personal growth. Mm. It was the most difficult for me, so I felt like Mm. uh, Daska, that's what I had to do in order to kind of uh, work on my um, character traits and become more spiritually sensitive. Mm. And... um and I'm just curious about one more thing before we move to the IDF. You said, I'm Shomer Shabbat, but I'm not Orthodox. Did you, like me, have hang-ups or negative associations with the Orthodox community? I actually didn't. Um, it just wasn't where I was um, in terms of my mindset or my belief system at that time. Um, I think that's another blessing from growing up in a pluralist youth movement, is that even though most participants weren't Orthodox, I was exposed to... Uh, Uh, a few people who were more religious than I was, and I never felt, uh, I mean, it did seem like it was something that was like a a separate world that had no application to my modern lifestyle, but I certainly didn't see it as anything that was uh, backwards or wrong or immoral or anything like that. Okay, so good. So I did, but um, but no, it's good to know that not everyone was as negative, <laughs> um, and certainly the people that um, saw me change. I was always were not. very, very open-minded. Like I loved learning about different cultures, so like, I, I was very um, like equal, uh, equal-minded about like every different. Like it, it was no different for me than uh, you know learning about. Like, that, that was how it started for me, uh, becoming religious. So I would. Uh, right go to classes with um, some Orthodox people that I'd met, and it was, for me, as if I was going to, like, study uh, an ancient, uh, I don't know, South American Indian culture or something like that. It was just an anthropological experience, but it started resonating more and more the longer I uh, (laughs) spent time But what I will tell you is that I found that for Jews that can do that for other subjects when it comes to their own heritage, there is often, and obviously not always, but often like a blockage, like, oh, well, this culture and that culture is interesting, but, you know, my people who do this, they're extreme. But, no, it's certainly nice to hear that um, not everyone has that experience. So take me now to the IDF. When did you decide that you were going to enlist, and did people try to warn you that this was not the right place for a nice religious girl, since a lot of religious girls do Shirit Lumi instead of the IDF? Um, somehow, I actually didn't get a lot of that um, message. I, I know that uh, it definitely exists, and I uh, I heard it 
further once I was already quite far down the path. Um, I was I was blessed with a wonderful Chabad rabbi uh, in Minnesota where my parents live. Who uh, I mean, there there's the um, a children's organization like they call it Sivas Hashem, like a God's army, and it's like they send the children out to do mitzvot and. So when uh, he pointed out that I was going to be going to uh, the army, his uh, his kids, he was like, she's going to the real Tzivot Hashem, which I thought was such a beautiful way to look at it. But um, the way I came to it, it was um, probably quite differently than most people. Uh, I, I was never filled with like that strong Zionist fervor. I mean, I'm definitely a Zionist, but it wasn't from a Zionist fervor or desire to serve the country. It was... Uh, I'm actually a pretty big hippie, very pacifist, um, or at least I was for a long time. I'm starting to learn that there are some things you do have to fight for, but uh, I could never see myself in like a military environment or aligning myself with military values. But uh, I had decided, it was uh, throughout the year that I spent in Israel after high school, that Israel was where I wanted to be. I decided uh, I wanted to make Aliyah, and I was kind of weighing my options for how to do that. And there's a program called Berlin Sabah that um, assists lone soldiers in making Aliyah and joining the army. They stick a bunch of uh, you together and put you together on a kibbutz. So you make Aliyah together, you go through the whole enlistment uh, process together, and then you have a support network to go back to um, on your your leave, like for Shavatot, or um, you have a home to come back to with uh, other people who are kind of going through that experience with you. And it really appealed to me that I would kind of have my hand held because it was it was very overwhelming, the prospect of coming to Israel by myself and having to go through all these bureaucratic processes. And, um, and additionally, it was really important to me to become as ingrained as possible as in, in Israeli society. I didn't want to stay in the, the American bubble. And it seemed like being in the Army was a way to really understand what it is that most Israelis go through and to learn the Hebrew language and get to meet people from all parts of Israeli society. So it was sort of, um, I saw it as a means to an end of having a smooth aliyah and becoming uh, as Israeli as possible. Uh, and that was sort of how I decided to do it. It was when I was, I'd already decided I wanted to be in Israel and I was kind of figuring out what the best first steps would be in becoming a citizen and making uh, making it my home. So how did it work um, being a religious young lady uh, in the Army? Um, what were the challenges? Is there anything um, that being religious makes the Army easier, maybe uh, relying on prayer or faith? Um, what, <laughs> what was that experience like for you? Wow, I feel like each aspect of that question I could talk about for a long time. Uh, first off, like the Gaurin that I, I made Aliyah with, um, it was a religious Gaurin. So um, it was it was already in the early stages that I started I started feeling already that um, my experience was going to be different than the others because um, I'd become religious influenced pretty much only by Chabad because that's all they all there was when I was uh, in college. Uh, I mean, it wasn't even close by. I had to seek them out. But I became religious completely on my own, and in a lot of ways it was really beautiful. Like No one knew or cared what it meant that uh, I wore long skirts. I was just that girl with the long skirts, and uh, the fact that I kept Shabbat didn't mean that I was supposed to do any other things that uh, 
Orthodox people were supposed to do because no one knew what it was. So I had a lot of freedom, and for me, it was very comfortable being the only religious person, and that was a, sort of what I was used to. And when I arrived on kibbutz, where um, there's a much more, I'm trying to think of the politically correct way to say it, like a more relaxed form of orthodoxy, and most of the people that I was with uh, certainly cared about their uh, observance and uh, their Jewish identity, but weren't necessarily um, keeping the Chabad standards that I was used to. So uh, I was um, set to go in to a certain position, and I had a Rebetzin who uh, really warned me against it because it would require staying every other Shabbat on base, uh, not just doing guard duty, but like actively using the telephone and writing. I mean, for security reasons, but uh, she was saying, you're, you're freshly religious. Do you really want to put yourself in that position? Um, where you're going to be in such a not Shabbat-like atmosphere. And so I uh, kind of pulled some strings and asked for help from the people who uh, had been guiding us throughout the enlistment process, and I um, was able to get um, the opportunity to try out for a position that's uh, actually it's a unit for religious girls. It's called Tawbut Toranit, and um, it's, a, it's a specific unit for religious girls that uh, do their army service out in the community, uh, helping in absorption centers for new immigrants, at youth villages for at-risk youth, in uh, low-income areas, helping in schools and uh, after schools, um, that sort of thing. Uh, and so I had the, uh, the privilege of doing a very uh, social justice uh, service-oriented um, job while I was in the IDS. Like I got to be, uh, I, I went through basic training, I wore the uniform uh, throughout the the whole time, but um, you said you wore, you wore a, a uniform skirt. I did, yeah. <laughs> and and people, people didn't care. People didn't give you a hard time. The they'd seen. No, but I. So the question is, I found you know even um, I didn't spend a ton of time in Israel. I I was there for a few years in different capacities. I find that there are a lot of misunderstandings in Israel about the datim or dosim, you know, as uh, I think it's said in the pejorative, um, and that the skirt or tzniyut is looked down as like crazy. So no one noticed that you were kind of the oddball out wearing the skirt that was just, you know, not spoken about and not cared about? Um, Well, because I, well, I guess it depends on which situation we're talking about. It's actually increasingly common nowadays for people to wear an army uniform with a skirt. And I think mm. the fact that it's someone in a uniform would uh, already kind of disarm people who are anti-religious because it's uh, you can see that, oh, this is a person who, in spite of being religious and in spite of having an automatic um, uh, ability to get out of army service, chooses to serve. So it already mm. shows that they're Zionists, they're serving their country, um, so I never felt that people were looking down on mm. me for wearing like a, a skirt in the army. Um, however, I did feel more out of place. I sort of alluded to this beforehand that uh, being like, the um, the more stark or more from person within a unit for religious people, and that was a, a challenge for me was to kind of stay on my um, my trajectory and trying to be uh, as um, full as possible in my observance when I was surrounded by people who were religious, but um, from a, a community with different standards that I was used to in terms of modesty and uh, other aspects of, um, you know, keeping halakha. 
and I have the utmost respect for them, and I don't see their way of life as being any lesser, but it was a, a kind of tricky thing for me to uh, continue on the on my path of uh, becoming stronger and more and more religious. And a, a big part of that was I'd, um, when I felt like I was kind of getting more stagnant, I got involved in Partners in Torah, and I started learning every week over the phone, and uh, we actually stayed in touch to this day, and we're still learning, which is uh, a real blessing. That's so nice. I uh, I got my parents involved in Partners in Torah when they were starting their journey, and I worked at Partners in Torah for five years, and um, I have a pretty famous partner in Torah named Mayim Bialik, so um, the, the organization <laughs> yeah. is near and dear to my heart. Um, that's very cool. Would you say that, um, I mean, I know you said that you were around um, other religious Jewish women in this section. Whenever you mixed in with the non-religious ones since I mean, you said on one hand that the skirts are becoming more common. On the other hand, maybe they did know that you were religious because of that. Did you get to be an ambassador in any circumstances um, wearing the skirt and people recognizing that you were Dati? Oh, sure. Uh, it happened a lot when I was uh, especially walking around Hello? the old city of Jerusalem. People would stop Hello? me and ask if they could take my picture, being like, they're like, wow, look at you. <laughs> You're Hello? a soldier and you're wearing a I would, like, they don't know that that's uh, something that exists, <laughs> and so uh, I got to stop a couple times. That made me feel like, oh, if tourists are taking my picture, I guess I must be like an Israeli uh, thing now. <laughs> um, another interesting experience I had was uh, walking around with my mom uh, in Mea uh, Sharim when she came to visit me at one point, and she was saying, these men are supposed to be so modest, but they keep staring at us, like, you have to realize... I'm like, it, it's, as if, it's as though someone's walking around in a giant cat suit. Like, seeing a, a woman like in a uniform at all, let alone, like, a modest uniform. Like, you don't even know that something like this exists. And I remember uh, thinking, uh, like, trying to explain to her that, like, no, like, you're not staring at me. Like, they, like, they have a reason. To, <laughs> like, it's just such an odd uh, odd thing for them. But, uh, yeah, those are, like, the, the two things that... Uh, stick out to me most when, when people noticed me for, uh, you know, being someone who was modest uh, according to tra- traditional Torah definition, uh, but also on a uniform representing something, you know, Zionist. And do you have any tips for any young women out there who are considering joining the IDF who are either already religious or who are growing in their path in observance and... I guess had considered the IDF, but are not sure how it will work with their religious observance. Wow. Um, I guess uh, the first thing I would say is that uh, after each woman would do her own research, uh, she should do what feels right to her without um, you know letting other people have too much say. I mean, it's important to listen to. Uh, our parents, the people who know us best, who are rabbis, who have our best interests uh, at heart. But at the end of the day, it's a very personal decision that uh, it uh, shouldn't be outsourced to anyone else. Um, as for uh, tips for people who uh, want to be in the army and to be religious, the first thing is it's definitely possible. It's also definitely difficult. Um, I was in an, uh, a unit that should be uh, easier because it was geared to meet the needs of religious girls, and I still felt that uh, it was uh, not necessarily the best place for my uh, 
uh, spiritual growth. On the other hand, uh, you know, you uh, joked before that, uh, you know, just praying is something that uh, um, can make us stronger. I guess I, w- I was working with at-risk youth at a boarding school, so I definitely prayed for them a lot, and I prayed that I would have the, uh, the strength and the wisdom to kind of do what I had to do with them. Um, I mean, I, I, as far as I understand that, um, the entire unit of uh, soldier teachers, as it's called, um, you know, soldiers who work out in the communities in education and doing outreach kind of work, I think it's being canceled altogether. So that um, makes one avenue that makes it easier to be religious in the Army a bit more difficult. Um, that said, um, you know, it, for, for me personally, like I said, I, I had an easier time uh, you know, being the only religious person as opposed to being the most stark person among Orthodox uh, you know, of various levels. So each person has to kind of decide uh, what they need in order to uh, continue serving Hashem in, in the way that they can. People might be surprised, um, but I actually have a little army experience myself, and I actually got starker there as well. Um, I did a program when I was 16 called Volunteers for Israel. I did it because my sister did it. Um, and instead of just doing the typical teen tour, they took us to an army base for a couple weeks to volunteer, and then a week of fake basic training um, called Gadna, which I did at Stable Care. And I actually became more observant on this trip. I was already on the trajectory myself. I was at that point trying to say Birkasa um, Shachar, morning blessings every day. Um, but when I was in the army base, I was having trouble fitting in you know, getting ready and getting my makeup on. Obviously, I needed to wear makeup to, you know, volunteer on the Army base um, and have time to pray. So I wasn't fitting it in. But by week three, by the time I got to basic training, I really got hard on myself. And I said, this is going to be the week that um, you're going to start praying every day, Allison. And we get to the Army base and they announce to us or to Stable Care um, that we're going to be woken up every day at 5 o'clock in the morning we have about three minutes to get dressed, you know, from top to bottom and canteens full of water and line up in a chet to begin 30 minutes of morning exercises. Um, and for anyone that has ever read anything I've written, morning exercises or really any time exercises is really not what I do. You may wonder why I did this program. Um, but anyway, I was dreading this and I went to sleep the night before and woke up the next morning and it's just that like nausea of it's early and I have to move right now. And a moment before (laughs) the morning exercises began, um, they said, who here prays? And there was one Dati girl on the group that was raised religious who daven chakras every day and there was me. And I raised my hand and they said, go to the Beit Knesset. Um, and I was saved by <laughs> tefillah. Um, and the thing is that at that point, my prayers were only taking five minutes. That was all I had gotten up to in the sitter. But they were exercising for 30 minutes, and there was no way in hell I was going out there in the middle of uh, morning exercises. So I looked at my uh, modern Orthodox friend next to me, and I was like, I need more material. Like, what else What else you got? <laughs> And it was that week that I started saying the Shmona Esrei every day. I saw her beating her chest. I'm like, what is this Yom Kippur? I've never seen this before, but I can learn these ways. So um, by the time I finished my, th- you know, three weeks of my fake army experience, I was actually uh, davening shachars every day very slowly. Um, so that's my way of relating to the story here. But I, I never would have uh, survived oh, full basic training. Beautiful. 
<laughs> yeah, thank God I survived. Yeah, it's really, it's such, it's such a, like a volatile thing. Like you never know how ARMY is going to change you. I know someone who went in Shomer Nagia and he came out not even keeping Shabbat anymore, but I know people who went in completely secular and came out religious. Um, and thank God nowadays they're, um, they're the, less now, I think, for girls because they're co- closing down this uh, particular program. But um, I know there, there's increasingly um, like more and more options for people who care about either you know, learning in yeshiva and what to do army at the same time. There's so many different programs to uh, combine the two. Um, I think it's, it's, it's such a kiddush Hashem that now you know, these worlds are considered uh, by so many to be um, like polar opposites, like the the military, uh, secular, and the religious right, uh, like the, the religious, um, like Haredi, ultra-Orthodox, it's like ne- never the two shall meet, but uh, thank God nowadays there's so many ways uh, to combine like, serving the country and, uh, and serving Hashem. I, I think it's a beautiful thing. Totally. We got about three minutes left. And I want to hear the final uh, thing that you mentioned to me when we first started talking, which is that people told you that a nice religious girl has to meet her husband in Shidochim, but you showed them. So if you could tell us a little bit about um, <laughs> how and where you met your husband. Oh, I went down kicking. <laughs> it's like it's such a funny story. Um, I had a huge crush on my husband when we were together in the army, and I was so dead set against um, like meeting guys in, in that way. And he also like, was so wrong for me at the time. So uh, I, I learned already that, uh, you know, a crush is just this, like, physiological phenomenon of hormones that has nothing to do with, like, who would actually be compatible with me. So I just completely ignored it and squished it. And then I uh, went to study in seminary, and I went on Shidduchim quite intensively over the course of uh, about two years. Uh, and after two years of a lot of almost and a lot of not really. <laughs> I uh, kind of remembered him, and so I uh, tried to engineer it like a proper shidduch. I had my rabbi call one of his rabbis, uh, who I happen to know taught both at his pre-army program and at my seminary. Um, and uh, they tried to talk, and they couldn't get a hold of him. And in the end, uh, my rebbitzin, who shocked me, she's like ultra-Orthodox, very pro-shidduchim, but she was like, you know what, the... Uh, Balls in your court, and uh, she kind of gave me the green light to to check it out. So I ended up calling him, and uh, to uh, my great shock, it ended up uh, being it. And, uh, Very nice. So uh, I almost uh, admit it shamefully because I wanted to uh, be a, a poster girl for how the, the shidduch system works, but uh, in the end, I was my own matchmaker. You know what? Uh, sometimes we have to put a little more hishtadlis uh, into the process. So um, I think really what my takeaway from this story is, is that um, different things work for different people. And we can have, you know, certain guiding principles that, you know, generally might be good ideas. But um, I think it's important for there to be space for individuals um, to sort of uh, live out their dreams. And I think that while things might not always be quote-unquote done, um, as long as there's technically room within halacha, if the person has a need or you know a strong desire to do something out of the box, um, I think we really need to give ourselves that freedom, um, 
give, you know, a longer uh, sort of rope to our children to express themselves. I think we think that we can keep people on more by keeping them sort of in this smaller space. But um, I think in many cases, when we give a little more space for freedom and self-expression and individuality, um, that's where the person can flourish as a religious Jew. So thank you for sharing your story and, uh, and how this worked for you. Absolutely. And if uh, any of the listeners do end up uh, going on and decide that uh, coming to uh, Israel and being a lone soldier is uh, the way to, um, that they're supposed to serve Hashem and serve Israel, then they should uh, hit me up. Uh, I'm happy to host for Shabbat. So. <laughs> oh, wow. All right. That's a very nice uh, offer you've made there. Um, thank you so much for joining us today, Zichsel. And thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can get your All-Stars tickets at jewinthecity.com slash events. And we will see you here same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.